Christmas. Have you thought about that? I'm going to get you one of those. So what do you want for Christmas? Santa is a busy man, huh? I know we uh, we have some jokes and fun with that, uh, especially around the church. You know, we're just a big melting pot here. We come from all different backgrounds and denominations. And, you know, just remember God looks upon the heart. And all of your Christmas shopping and giving and decorating and Santa Claus and all that. God's not really moved by all these things. It, he's really looking at your heart. He wants to know what has you and what you're really worshiping. And, and those are the things that are true. Amen? Amen? He loves you. And He wants you to have fun. But He wants you to keep things in proper perspective. And make sure that He's the one on the throne of your life. Amen? Amen. I know that I, for one, have learned to use Amazon. And I don't know if I'll ever go into another mall again. I like it. They'll even wrap the stuff for me. It's so easy, though, to get wrapped up in the commercialism of Christmas and the ungodly wants and desires of the holidays. I remember when I was a kid, and I've told this many times, but I can remember the old folks around say, my mother... And my grandmother, anytime you ask them what they wanted, they would always say, just a little piece. Anyone ever tell you that? It seemed like that used to be a favorite phrase of the old folks. They just wanted a little piece. And I was thankful to hear that because it kind of let me off the hook. I knew I couldn't provide that, but it didn't cost anything either. What do you think they meant by that? What is peace? I looked up the definition I thought you would ask. It says, there, well, there's several, actually. It says, a state of tranquility or quiet as freedom from civil disturbance. I thought about that. I said, you know, I think where I come from, that might have been very well what they were wanting. <laughs> we had a lot of civil disturbances in our, in our midst. I remember growing up thinking that we were related to all the policemen on the force because we saw them at all of our, our family events. You see. The next thing says, a state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom. The next one is freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts and emotions. I'm sure that that's what they were after too. Harmony in personal relations. Definitely. This one caught me of particular interest. A pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. That one may be more relevant to you in a moment. And then it can be used interjectionally to ask for silence or calm or as a greeting or farewell. Peace out. In a state of concord or tranquility. At peace. I think that's what you were saying, Dennis. So what do you think peace looks like? What's it look like in your mind? What is peace? Is it just the opposite of war? Or when there's no fighting or violence? Nobody's arguing? Pretty much. <laughs> there's no strife or 
anything going on like that in our midst? That's having peace with others, right? What about peace on the inside, though? Peace in our hearts when we're not worried or upset or angry or fearful of anything. We have peace in our hearts. And this is something that people may not be able to to see on the outside, but we know it's there on the inside, don't we, if we have it. We think about all the things that can go wrong, especially this time of year. What we need to do, who we need to please, what gifts we need to buy, who is expecting what of us. Please don't let anyone be disappointed, and how am I going to provide? And then some of us only thinking about what we can get. Stress is a natural byproduct of these wrong mindsets, this wrong thinking and lifestyle, and people are left just wanting a little peace. What about peace with God? For starters, there's no peace without God, is there? But when Adam and Eve started out in the Garden of Eden, they had peace with God. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They were His friends. But when Adam and Eve chose to sin by trusting Satan instead of God, the peace that they had with God was broken. You can read about that in Genesis, the third chapter. And ever since, Adam, we've all been born with a sin nature, not of any fault of our own. Remember, everything's in seed form, and we all came from the seed of Adam, corrupted in our nature. Satan had us in a <coughs> chokehold. Children of Satan, actually, you want to know the truth. That's the truth. By nature, because of this corrupted seed. The Bible says every person, because of that nature, has also sinned of ourselves. And every person has lost the peace of God that he wants us to have and enjoy this relationship with him. Isaiah fifty-seven twenty-one says, There is no peace for the wicked. And whether we like it or not, that sinful nature makes us wicked in the eyes of God separated. From him. I don't turn the channel yet because I'm not going to leave you like that, okay? God wanted to restore the peace that we had with him, didn't he? With all humanity. So he promised to send a Savior to restore that peace. Romans 3, 22 through 24 says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. By His grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. So how did God provide this promised redemption? Well, that moves us into the Christmas season. In Luke chapter 2, I'll read, starting at the 8th verse, a familiar passage of Scripture, if you ever watched uh, Charlie Brown. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Praise God. That last verse from the King James, 
I'll read to you from the NIV. It says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. And I like that. And I'll tell you why. Because right here at the end of this passage of Scripture, it says, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There many have mistakenly in beauty pageants, for instance, all over the world, and in some other settings, uh, may have mistaken this. And they think that it means peace on earth among men. And so they keep believing for it. And that's not a bad thing to believe for, to pray for. Don't get me wrong. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. But this world peace that people dream of only happens when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom here on the earth. At that time, those of us who know him will reign with him in peace. Revelation 20 Verse 6 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That's you guys. For them, the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't think that that just means heaven lasts for only a thousand years. There's going to be a kingdom that the Lord will set up here on this earth and we will reign with Him in peace here on this earth for a thousand years. But then we'll be with Him wherever He is in heaven for all eternity. But not now, you see. Now we're living in the most dangerous times in world history. And the destruction of entire civilizations is at hand. Not trying to scare you, just prepare you. Look around. ISIS and all this other nonsense, they may come and go. But the ideology will not. It's biblical. There are false gods and false religions and they will end up in a large world battle outside of Jerusalem and God's really going to show off there. The Savior that God promised was Jesus and God fulfilled His promise when He sent Jesus, His Son, to earth. The prophet Isaiah called Jesus the Prince of Peace. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus is made right with God. Their peace with God is restored. I just need one amen and I'll move on. Oh, awesome. Acts 10.36 says, There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. No Jesus, no peace. So we have peace with God through Jesus. But now we need to learn to allow it or to allow Him, since Jesus is our peace, to be manifest in our lives, don't we? People tell me all the time, all these things you say I have, I really need. <laughs> so tell me where they are. I'm telling you, they're in you if you have Christ. And we're going to learn how to get them out. We need to allow this peace of God to be manifest in our lives all the time. In the midst of every storm. You know, one time Jesus was in a big storm with his disciples. You probably remember this story from Mark chapter 4. But Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. The boat was sinking and the disciples were freaking out. Wind was blowing. The storm was raging. Jesus had peace. He was asleep. And they came and said some ugly things to him. Don't you even care? We're dying <laughs> and all that. He got up. And he, just a simple word, shalom. He just said, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves died down. Everything was cool. He wasn't worried because, see, when they, before they left, he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let's go halfway and drown. So when he said, let's go over, they were going over. He trusted God. He knew God. So their lack of peace didn't disturb his, you see. This is important. This is what we need to learn. Peace in the midst of every crowd. 
Christmas crowds or any other kind of crowd. There was a woman in Luke chapter 8. She had a terrible disease. She had spent all she had trying to get healed. She came up behind Jesus. She was convinced if she could just touch him, she would be healed. So she broke the law. She wasn't even supposed to be out in public in her condition, much less touch this man of God. But she knew if she would, she would be healed. She just knew in her heart and in her mind. She touched him and she was healed because of her faith. That's Luke 8, 48. Jesus said, who touched me? <laughs> and everybody said they didn't do it. Then Peter said, Master, he said, everybody touched you. We're in a big crowd. We're doing this, trying to get through, you know. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Jesus said, no, somebody touched me in a different way. I know power has gone out of me. This woman, she realized that people would notice her. She, she's shaking with fear. She came and fell at his feet in front of everyone. She told him what she had done. Told him how she'd also been healed when she did it instantly. And he said to her, dear woman, your faith has made you well. He used the word there, sozo, has made you whole. She was not just whew, physically healed. She was completely whole. Jesus healed her body. He took away her suffering. But then she was worried she might get in trouble, you see, for just for touching him. She was actually shaking with fear. Have you ever been so afraid that your body was shaking on the outside? If you're shaking on the outside, you're shaking on the inside. But Jesus, he didn't want her to live in fear. She, he didn't want her to be worried. He called her to himself to let her know she wasn't in trouble. Far from it. He was happy with her. He told her, go in peace. Not only did she receive healing for her body, but she received peace. From Jesus. You're never going to get in trouble for pressing in, for seeking God, for, for needing His touch, needing His healing and claiming it, fighting for it. That's exactly what you need to do to receive from Him. Those who seek me, find me. When you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Jesus wants to give us this inner peace. Which would you rather have? External peace or internal peace? Can't change the things going on around us all the time. But if you have peace in the midst of every storm, then hey, who cares? Let it roll. You need to learn what to trust in, who to trust in. First John 4, 16, the Apostle John says, We have known and believed, known and relied upon the love that God has for us. Have you grown to know and rely upon the love that He has for you? That's a real thing. Because when you get to that place where you trust, you rely upon His love for you, then you'll believe Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. You know as Jesus is. So are you in this world. If you're saved. Then you have the very mind of Christ. In your born again spirit. These are the things. All the character of God. All the peace, love and joy you'll ever need. Is in you. You just need to learn how to get it out. So the peace of God came to us. As a little baby. But then he left it with us. When he left the earth. 
John fourteen twenty seven, my favorite scripture. On that fateful night that Jesus was betrayed, he had so much to talk to them about, to tell these disciples. He was about to turn over everything regarding the kingdom to just a few young men who really didn't quite get it yet. He was telling them about the kingdom of God, about how he was going to die, about the Holy Spirit. And he stops in the midst of all this and he does something very private and warm and touching. He, he gives them a personal gift from himself. John fourteen twenty seven. he says, Peace I give to you. I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If I'm worrying, if I don't have inner peace, it's because I don't really believe that God is able to take care of me. Well, I wouldn't really even say that so much because most of us believe God can do anything. But you know what it is? We, we doubt that He will do it for us. We don't know if He's going to take care of us and He's going to do it in our timing and in our way. And so we worry. If I'm worried, I don't believe the promises of 828 of Romans, which says that God's working all things for the good because I love Him and because He loves me. Isaiah 26.3 says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusteth in me. In the New Living Translation, it reads like this. He says, I will keep in perfect peace all who trust in me, all whose thoughts are fixed on me. Jesus had joy even in the midst of the worst times of his life, didn't he? Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had His trust in the Father. His thoughts, His mind was fixed on things above and not on things here. Not on the trials and situations and circumstance he was involved in. And they were dire. There are benefits to being a godly thinker. I'm just going to put a little bit of medicine in the mashed potatoes here for you, okay? Is that alright? Yes. I mean, medicine always tastes bad. But if we make it taste a little better, and we're all getting the same medicine, it's going to be alright, right? Okay. Yes, Pastor, that'll be alright. Help us today. Alright. Philippians 4.8, there's a scripture some of us know and, and, and all of us ought to know and love. This is the one that, that got my wife out of her mental, uh, you know, hostility <laughs> when we came to know the Lord. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, I can't do that. That's easy for you to say. You're not going, you have, this didn't happen to you. <clears throat> Listen, I'm just telling you what God said. God never asks us to do anything that He hasn't given us provision to do. In other words, if He says do it, you can do it. And matter of fact, it'll be very beneficial to you if you will. So we need to learn how to fix our thoughts. Our thought life is what's causing all the problems in our lives, really. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
Proverbs 23, 7. We need to learn to take responsibility for our thought life, for our emotions. Most of us say, well, I can't, I can't help how I feel. Duh. You know? I can't help what I think. I'm just real. I, boy, become a preacher and minister to teenage girls. Trust me, you're going you're gonna to love it. They're going to make you feel so stupid. But that's, just, that's how we think. That's what the world makes. I can't help the way I feel or what I think. Yes, you can. I'm here to tell you today, yes, you can, and you need to learn how to. We're not called to live this life according to what we feel, out of our emotions. This self-centered thinking has caused millions of people to go shipwreck and to miss God in this life. Peace comes from obeying God, to be honest with you. But not obedience out of compulsion to think we need to earn relationship with God or to earn heaven. You can't. It's already been paid for. The reason we obey, and this is what we have to come to terms with, we have to get revelation knowledge, and this will compel us out of a grateful heart to be obedient to God because we know He loves us and He has our best interest at heart. He's for us. He's not here to harm us. We need to put our trust in His Word and and deny the things of this world and of the devil who is competing for our time and our attention. Your thought life. It takes effort, but it's a very real and attainable thing. We can walk in the peace of God all the time. In the midst of every storm, in other words. Just like Jesus. Am I there yet? No. I hadn't reached my goal. But I'm not where I was. (laughs) And I'm heading in that direction. Jesus don't care where any of us have been. He wants to know where you're going, the direction you're heading in. And if you find yourself heading away from God, just stop, change your mind, turn back toward God. That's repentance. It's that simple. And He doesn't want you reflecting on the past. God is a God of now. He said, this is the day of your salvation. He's not really interested in all your yesterdays and all your failures that we keep talking to Him about. He already forgave and He's trying to point you to a beautiful, exciting future. That he has written for you. We have to find the correct source of our power though. Our peace and our joy. It's not the responsibility of or even the ability of another person or a possession to complete you. If you demand that your spouse fill a void in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions, then you're setting yourself up and your marriage for disaster. They, they, it's impossible. They can't give you what you need. And if you demand these things of people instead of God, you're going to upset the apple cart, believe me. That's why marriages fail, while relationships fail, while children grow up and have a sense of entitlement. The world owes me something. I'm mad at mommy and daddy. They give me everything. I hate them. <laughs> They don't know what to think or what to feel. They think a person or a thing is always supposed to be filling the voids in their life and they haven't been taught. You need to look upwards. It's a vertical thing. We are made to be, I use the example of sprinkler. You see a sprinkler spreading the water 
over the yard. You never see this sprinkler requiring anything of the grass it caused to grow. You see, it just pours out. As it receives, it gives. And it always stays wet, you see. There was a woman that Jesus met one time at a well. Went way out of his way to go find this Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, he told her, well, let's look at that for just a second. I wouldn't be right if I didn't get off track a few times. I think the Lord would have me to go to John chapter 4 in just a moment. Starting at uh, the 11th verse, he met this woman and she said to him, Sir, you have nothing. He asked her for a drink of water. She went there in the middle of the day to draw water from this well to avoid all the other hypocritical women who talked about her in the town. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? He said, because, back up a little bit, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who is it, who it is that's talking to you, then asking you give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. <laughs> Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> well, wasn't she right? And more. Listen, what Jesus was telling her and what he's telling us today, he, he wants us to take from him the water that satisfies forever. This life-giving water he talked about. If we try to get satisfaction from any other source, we will be left wanting. The well will run dry. Or in the least, it will never really satisfy us completely. And it will ruin relationships. And lives, First Peter three, ten through twelve, he said, "For whoever would love life and see good days, they have to keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Who is this peace? Jesus. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who's the righteous? Those who have received Jesus, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. God's listening." But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But it says, Make an effort to live in peace. And Peter just said that we have to seek peace and pursue it. Chase it down. Just like Chris did that Advent calendar. Take it. It's yours for the asking and the taking. You know, we're supposed to allow peace to be the umpire in our lives. It's supposed to rule us instead of worldly emotions you see and that's the place that we're trying to get to 
Colossians 3 talks about that in the 14th through 16th verse. It says, Beyond all these things, above all the instructions and the things we ask you to do and to tell you how to live the Christian life and, and, and that God has empowered you to do, the main thing you put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Then in the 15th verse, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let. Allow. You see, there's a part for us to play. We have a free will, and God will not supersede that. He will protect your free will all the way to hell if you make Him. He gave it to you. He wants you to use it to choose Him of your own free will. He's looking for a family who loves Him for His goodness. He's not going to compel you to choose Him, but He wants you to. He loves you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's how you're going to learn to walk in peace. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I want to encourage you, especially this time of year, to practice being still. And listening for God's voice. Seeking Him. Pursuing this peace. Tell Him that's what you're doing. I've had some of the greatest blessings at some of my lowest moments. Tear-filled eyes and just raging against my own mind and emotion. Just telling God, I'm seeking you, Lord. And you know, He shows off. He loves those situations. In your weakness, He's strong. You know, the peace that the old folks were looking for when I was a kid and we're still seeking today is found in Jesus Christ. God gave Jesus. Jesus gave Himself. Jesus returned to the Father. The Father sent the Holy Spirit. Now He's with us all the time. The peace we crave is now an abiding fruit of the Spirit. The character of God that lives in us that we're just learning how to tap into and walk in. And to the extent that we walk after the Spirit in agreement with God and His Word, magnifying God and His goodness and His promises over the cares and concerns of this life, we will walk in peace. I'm closing now. Again. James tells us, James was really to the point, but it's because God loves us that He tells us these things. James just laid it all out there though. This was Jesus' brother. He said, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it because your passions, they're at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. And remember, Jesus said, even your anger can be considered murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. All these things we want, you see. You do not have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he's saying is, the things that you ask for, if you ask, if, if, the, if the things that you want are godly things, then you don't have them because you didn't ask God, the one who provides. 
And if the things you want are ungodly, well, then you don't get it because you, you haven't learned to agree with God yet. And He's, he's not going to give you things that will destroy you or hurt others. And, and He loves you. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Set your thoughts on things above, on Jesus, on His love and provision for your life. God gave you the best Christmas gift ever by giving you His very best, Christ Himself. The Christ in Christmas, Jesus, came from God. Don't exclude Him this year from Christmas and you'll find the peace that is at the top of your Christmas list. All I want for Christmas is Jesus. Wise men still seek Him. God bless you all. I love you. Father, we thank You for this awesome day that You've given us. We thank You for keeping our minds stayed on You and for getting, helping us to put things in proper perspective as we go into this Christmas season. Help us to keep the Christ in Christmas thinking about you, learning and growing in our relationship with you, trusting in your love for us and your provision for our lives, spirit, soul, and body. We know, Lord, that you have our best interests at heart and, and that you're the one who's able to provide all the things that we need as well as the emotional health and wholeness that we crave. Thank you for the peace that you gave us that fateful night as a gift. We receive it. We accept your gift, Lord Jesus, by faith. Help us to grow in love and peace and joy this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name.